The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up. We gather for ordered worship and remembrance this day, September 11, 2016. The liturgy, music, homily, and remembrance are offered for our gathered congregation here in Marsh Chapel, for our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership now and later around the globe at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful and material support, your written or emailed responses, your self-selection of forms of leadership and service in our midst, and as the Spirit moves, your presence with us on Sunday. We gather in the spirit of one who said, do all the good you can, at all the times you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can, do all the good you can. This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
we pray. O oh God, because without you we are not able to please you, mercifully grant that your Holy Spirit may in all things direct and rule our hearts. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. In a moment, our choir will sing with and for us the traditional Kyrie, Lord have mercy. This is the moment as we begin each week, each Lord's Day, when we learn again the language of confession, contrition, lament, compunction. We learn to pray for forgiveness and so to seek to be forgiven. It was Reinhold Niebuhr who taught us to develop in these moments a spiritual discipline against resentment. As the choir sings, may we offer our individual prayers of confession. Let us pray. thou who is loving us into love and freeing us into freedom. But for thy grace we would not be, but for thy grace we could not love, but for thy grace we should not speak, but by thy grace we live and love and speak. Beloved, hear good news. If we confess our sins, God who is faithful and just will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 4, verses 11 through 12 and 22 through 28. At that time, it will be said to this people and to Jerusalem, a hot wind comes from me out of the bare heights in the desert toward my poor people, not to winnow or cleanse, a wind too strong for that. Now it is I who speak in judgment against them. For my people are foolish, they do not know me. They are stupid children. They have no understanding. 
They are skilled in doing evil, but do not know how to do good. I looked on the earth, and lo, it was waste and void, and to the heavens, and they had no light. I looked on the mountains, and lo, they were quaking, and all the hills moved to and fro. I looked, and lo, there was no one at all, and all the birds of the air had fled. I looked, and lo, the fruitful land was a desert, and all its cities were laid in ruins before the Lord, before his fierce anger. For thus says the Lord, the whole land shall be a desolation, yet I will not make a full end. Because of this, the earth shall mourn, and the heavens above grow black. For I have spoken, I have purposed, I have not relented, nor will I turn back. The word of the Lord.
Please join me in saying verses from Psalm 14 with the Antiphon. say in their hearts there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on humankind to see if there are any who are wise who seek after God. They have all gone astray. They are all alike perverse. There is no one who does good. No one. Not one. Have they no knowledge? all the evildoers who eat up my people as they eat bread, and do not call upon the Lord. There they shall be in great terror, for God is with the company of the righteous. You who would confound the plans of the poor, but the Lord is their refuge. Oh, that deliverance from Israel would come from Zion. When the Lord restores the fortunes of his people, Jacob will rejoice, Israel Let us stand as we are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel. gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Luke chapter 15 verses 1 through 10. Glory to you, O Lord. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Which one of you having a hundred sheep and losing one of them does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, 
having 10 silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ.
please be seated. Faith walks along a tenebrous edge, a dark, a shadowy, a twilight cliff walk. We here at Mars Chapel eschew the petty narcissism of small religious differences, celebrate and offer a faith shared, a common faith, common ground and common hope shared by all. We have so much in common. We all survived the birth canal and so enter life, enter life with the native survivor's guilt, all seven billion of us. We all need two things every day, bread and a name, nourishment and identity, all seven billion of us. We all grow, change, move on, move out from our family of origin to our own second identity, say on the translation to the shores of a college here or there, all seven billion of us. We all love our families, our kith and kin, kindred, grandchildren and children, one way or another, all seven billion of us. We all age, and as my friend says, after 50 physically, it's maintenance, 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 all seven billion of us. And we all shuffle off this mortal coil en route to that undiscovered country from whose born no traveler returns, all seven billion of us. We all need the balance of a faith that can walk a tenebrous edge. Today we remember those lost loved ones and those who lost loved ones some 15 years ago. May we receive balance in the memories of Jeremiah, America, Luke, and 9-11. You remember, Jeremiah, you've heard his voice the last several weeks, and you will hear him all the way through, Sunday by Sunday, the last week in October. His thundering, challenging voice. For four decades without success, Jeremiah pleaded with his people, cajoled, even excoriated his people, but his four decades of sermons went unheeded. Born in 650, dying near 580, in prophecy from 626 to 585, Jeremiah brought the word of the Lord to a heedless people. Did you hear the verse from Scripture? Mine are a foolish people. They do not know me. They are stupid children. They have no understanding. They are skilled at doing evil but have no capacity to do good. Jeremiah began, and initially the king, the good king Josiah, listened, and the reforms of 621 lasted, but only until Josiah himself died in 609. And then there was the defeat at the Battle of Carchemish in 605. And then the initial small, should have been a warning, deportation in 598. We're heading toward the worst day in the history of the Hebrew people, in the scripture, 587 B.C., and Jeremiah pleaded with his people, people who wanted revolt, not reason. And he said to them, listen, be rational, use diplomacy, even capitulation if you need to. But they, they weren't listening. Four decades of unheeded preachment Jeremiah, who lived in Anatoth, two miles from Jerusalem, who 
whose favorite mentor was Hosea, whose favorite image like that of Hosea was harlotry, and who reminded his people, beware the false prophecy of the optimists in your midst, like Hananiah. The Torah itself can be misused if wrongly interpreted, he said. The temple itself is of no efficacy apart from faith, he said. True circumcision is circumcision of the heart, not of the body, he said. And beware the false optimists. Hananiah, his opponent, was optimistic. He said, oh, no, the restoration will come. The treasures will be returned. The temple will be protected. All will be well. And then just a few months before 587, the last king, Zedekiah, who had tried to have Jeremiah uh, killed, he was judged but escaped. He threw him in a cistern, but he escaped again. Zedekiah called Jeremiah to the the throne and said, "Uh, tell me, uh, Jeremiah, is there any word from the Lord? And Jeremiah said and whispered, why, yes, King Zedekiah, there is. You will be delivered into the hands of the king of Babylon. And in the next year, the city was burned, the temple was destroyed, the population was enslaved, and the nation was ruined. And for two generations, because of their hard-hearted, hard-headedness, the people of Israel sat along the banks of the river by the rivers of Babylon. We sat down and wept as our tormentors said to us, sing to us one of the songs of Zion. Jeremiah died and was buried in an unmarked grave, probably down in Egypt, as his people were swallowed up by that hot wind, hotter than anything for correction from the north. It's a warning. Faith is a hike along a tenebrous edge, dark, shadowy, a cliff walk in the twilight. We need that balancing. Remember, Jeremiah, remember truly America in this stage and in this epoch. Our culture has now in 14 months descended into a kind of decay that would have been unthinkable. Rancor and rhetoric that befits no civilized people. And we have accepted it, affirmed it, acceded to it. Rancor and rhetoric that befits no civilized people. And we have been dealt a case of amnesia, partly cultural and partly Christological. So we forget Emma Lazarus and latch on to demagoguery and we forget Abraham Lincoln and latch on to nativism and we forget Martin King and latch on to narcissism and we forget our own better angels. This is a culture that has descended right around us into demagoguery and misogyny, demagoguery and racism, demagoguery and bigotry, demagoguery and America firstism, demagoguery and birtherism, demagoguery and xenophobia. One of these candidates famously said of his opponent, yeah, I I called him low energy. That was a one-day kill. And then he added, words are beautiful, 
sustain. No, the cultural damage has already been done, and we will be sifting through the rubble for the next 15 years. When an eight-year-old child comes home and says to her mother in tears, my Mexican classmate is going to be deported, the damage is done. When a 90-year-old grandmother in a nursing home looks at the wreckage of her own history, legacy, and party and uses the simple word dismaying, the damage has been done. When we listen and hear what is not appealing, but appalling across the land, and we have accepted it, we have acceded to it, the damage has been done. Why, there's some question, I guess, for some about how a certain nominee could be placed at the head of a certain grand old party, the party of Lincoln. Some wonder, how could this possibly have happened? It must be a mistake, but you know, Surveys show the reason he was picked is that eight out of ten of the members of his party, four out of five, agree with his three tenets. Deport immigrants, erase Muslims, build a thousand-mile wall. If you're speaking to a member of that grand old party, eight out of ten times you're speaking with someone who agrees with that. So let's check that philosophy, as Jeremiah might ask us. Boston, you have a job to do. This is your name. This is your name on the line. What was Jonathan Winthrop doing out in the Boston Harbor, sailing around in the autumn of 1630, aiming to deport immigrants, aiming to chop down religious expression, aiming to bind up in walls and boundaries? Those were the very opposites, the very contraries of his desire. He wasn't there to deport immigrants. He was an immigrant. Very few of us would be here without immigration. You Lutheran Scandinavians from Minnesota and Iowa, immigrants. You French Canadians from New Hampshire and Maine, immigrants. You Italians and Irish from Syracuse and Albany and Buffalo, immigrants, you British and Scotsmen from North Carolina and Florida. We're all, all immigrants. We wouldn't be here at all. No, that was the opposite of the hope, the dream. And we also note those who came were immigrated not by any choice of their own. Was he, Jonathan Winthrop, sailing around on the harbor in 1630 to find ways to limit Religious expression? That's the opposite of the trip that he made. They came here to be free, free from direction of their own religious expression so that their creed could be their creed indeed. Was he here to bind up and to set boundaries? Far from it. This was meant to be a city set on a hill, expanding the last best hope a place of grace and freedom. Of course, the dream failed, and over time, it was honored largely often in the breach. But Boston, you have a name to protect and a memory to honor. Let's remember along the tenebrous edge a little bit of our own land's history. And what about Luke? Remember Luke? Luke, the third gospel, and here in the 15th chapter, not to distress overly much, I hope many of you, 
This is the most Gnostic chapter in the Bible, Luke 15, particularly the prodigal son, which comes later. It is the most unorthodox, heterodox, different chapter for all its familiarity and beauty. Because it was easily understood by the Gnostics who weren't interested in Christology or in Gethsemane or in Christ died for our sins or in the Lamb of God, they were interested in one thing, moving from darkness to light, moving from being lost to being found. And so such a parable fits beautifully right there. Whether it's the loss of a sheep, a person, or the loss of a coin of value. And the gathering up for the Gnostics into the pleroma, the fullness of light. That's why you need every single one, coin and sheep. You know, Marcion, the great Christian Gnostic teacher of the mid-2nd century, developed our first Bible. It consisted of Luke, no surprise, and the letters of Paul. Now, Marcion later was excommunicated as a heretic, but he, in reading Jeremiah and in reading Luke, listened to these passages together and said, this can't be about the same God. I listen to Jeremiah and I hear hatred, anger, judgment, justice, wrath, creation. And I listen to Luke and I hear grace, mercy, freedom, peace, redemption. There must be one God for redemption and one God for creation. At least you can see where he was coming from. The great church, wisely and rightly as do we, rejected his solution. And to his small Bible, Luke and Paul, they added, and we use here at Marsh Chapel, all of the books, the 39 of the Hebrew Scripture, including the God of creation and the voice of Jeremiah, and all of the 27 of the New Testament, including not just Luke, but Matthew, Mark, John, and the letters of Peter, John, James, and Jude, and others. But even if the church had not done so, we can see if we listen and watch carefully that there's more Jeremiah and in Luke than you might think. And later on, there's more Luke in Jeremiah than you might expect. That is, we race quickly in Luke to the celebration of the finding of the sheep and the coin. But anyone who's ever been lost or lost someone, person, something, value, and has struggled to reclaim it, who has walked that tenebrous edge in the dark with that dismay not knowing the outcome, with that anxiety not knowing the certainty of the found, that's got a lot of Jeremiah right in the heart of it. You know, freshman year at college, including at Boston University, can be one of the loneliest times in life. Some of the loneliest people on earth are living in the Warren Towers right now. It's a time of challenge. They don't necessarily tell us that. It's a time of reconstituting a whole life so that we in this community need to be open-hearted and embracing and gathering for the, the healing of loneliness is found where? In friendship, in fellowship, in community, in meaning, in belonging, in empowerment, in church right here. Friday afternoon, beautiful it was. Our chaplains placed a table, such a gentle outreach out along the, the lawn here, and they put hand-sized pots for plants and allowed and invited students, 
first-year students and transfers and others carefully and lovingly to paint the pots and fill it with dirt and a seed to go in the greening of the dorms. It was as real and as gentle and as true an outreach as you can expect. Luke in full and Luke 15 in particular remind us ever and again that the ministers, in our case the chaplains, are present for those who are not yet present. That outreach ever trumps contemplation, that evangelism ever trumps pastoral care, that we are present for those who are not yet present. There is Luke guiding us through that dark, shadowy, twilight cliff walk. You need some balance in faith. May it be a gift to us today in remembering Jeremiah, in rightly remembering America, in remembering Luke and the gospel, and especially today in remembering 9-11. Many there are listening and present who can remember where they were 15 years ago this morning. And for those of us in the churches, the whole week long of services and phone calls and that saying, ah, so good to hear your voice. And the memorials that came. Five years later in 2006, right on this plaza, we gathered for a similar memorial. Ten years later in 2011, you guided and celebrated a memorial on the plaza with the choir and the chaplains, the university president and the poet laureate. And we read the names of those from Boston University who were lost. One of the most searing and yet endearing experiences in ministry here was the time when I called the families of these deceased to ask permission to use their names and offer condolence on your behalf. Some could not speak at all. Some could offer a word of greeting. Some could tell a story. But their names are in your bulletin today so that we remember them with honor and grace. That 9-11 experience is remembered here from this pulpit in a particular perspective. This is a, an historic pulpit going to the beginnings of the Methodist movement and including a hope of peace. So John Wesley saying in essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, in all things charity. Saying, if thine heart be as my heart, then give me thine hand. So through Daniel Marsh and his successors, the, re the, the ringing of the voice of Mahatma Gandhi, mentioned again this summer three times in the sermons of our series, who said, I am part and parcel of humankind. I can't find God apart from the rest of, the humanity, of humanity. Gandhi inspired Thurman, who said, some of my days are darker and some are lighter, but they are all trailed by a sometimes forgotten beauty and a sometimes unremembered peace. And Thurman, who influenced King, Martin King, who said, I believe that unarmed truth and unconditional love will have the final word. And those of another generation who heard and heeded and came, as you have done, to this chapel to keep that sense, not just of a common faith, not just of a common ground, but also of a common hope, so that we will remember 
as we did 15 years ago and 10 years ago and five years ago. A word, the gift of faith for those walking a tenebrous edge. Terror may topple a World Trade Center, but no terror can topple the World Truth Center, who is Jesus the Christ. The World Trade Center, hub of economic activity may fall, but the economy of grace and truth in the, the World Truth Center, the person of Jesus Christ, continues and stands. The World Trade Center, the center of communication near and far, may have fallen, but the communication of the gospel, a humble act in speaking and hearing, including this very moment, continues through the person of Jesus the Christ, the World Truth Center. The World Trade Center, bulwark against material loss, may have fallen. But the possibility in your life of developing a spiritual, spiritual discipline against resentment, as Niebuhr put it, is there and lives through the World Truth Center, Jesus the Christ. Sursum corda, lift up your hearts, Receive the gift of a common faith to walk along a tenebrous edge. Those of you all together who walk by faith, not by sight, who see in a mirror dimly, who hope for what we do not see, but wait for it with patience. Amen. you to sing together our call to prayer as you either remain seated, kneel, stand, or come to the communion rail. Let us join in singing together, Lead Me, Lord. I invite you to join in our Litany of Remembrance, printed in your bulletin, written in August of 2011 by the Reverend Susan S. Schaefer. Beginning together, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. We would remember this day those whose lives were taken in moments and acts of violence by aggressors on September 11, 2001. God's steadfast love stretches high overhead like the canopy of heaven. 
we would remember those first responders who risked their lives and those who lost their lives that others might live. God's compassion, constancy of presence, and steadfast love emerges with inexorable fidelity in human form. We would remember those families and friends whose loved ones died in the tragedy of collapsing towers and its groundswell of dust. Bless the Lord, O my soul, for the Lord heals, redeems, and restores, changing us with steadfast love and mercy. We would remember ourselves whose lives hearts and minds were affected turning to faith as our stronghold, knowing God values relationships over retribution. God's mercy washes over us like a gentle rain, and our lives as a result are opened up to a whole new world of possibilities. We would remember our world a fragile island home, and in remembrance strive to make it God's kingdom of love and peace. Guiding, empowering spirit, we wait upon your silent breath that gives life to our faith, that makes active our love, that emboldens our commitment, giving direction to our lives. Spirit of the living God, all afresh on us all. Amen. O Lord, we beseech you mercifully to hear the prayers of your people who call upon you, and grant that they may both perceive and know what things they ought to do, and also may have grace and power faithfully to fulfill them. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. And now, with the confidence of children of God, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.
Good morning. We are so grateful to be worshiping with all of you this morning, whether you're in the pews or joining us via radio or podcast. We'd love to be able to greet you personally. There's two ways to check in with us. One is to sign the red pads found at the center of each aisle and to pass those along to your neighbor. Another, if you're joining us virtually, is to email us at chapel at bu.edu. Since it's the start of the semester, we have several announcements this morning. First, it might seem obvious to those of you here in the pews, but the weather's not good outside, and it looks like rain. So we've moved our first annual barbecue um, to be indoors. This is our first annual indoor barbecue. So please join us downstairs um, for food and fellowship, just as lively as if it were outside following the service. And in addition, because of the rain, our blessing of the books, bags, and bikes will also be downstairs. And the blessing will be virtual. So if you don't have your books, bags, and especially your bikes with you to roll downstairs, we'll be willing to bless them anyway for the start of the semester. Please don't bring your bicycles indoors. Um, our children's ministry and Thurman Choir both begin next week. Please contact Devin Harvin if you're interested in the children's ministry or Justin Blackwell if you're interested in Thurman Choir. There are st several study opportunities this semester. Uh, this, the morning, the Sunday morning study is kicking off um, at 9.45 a.m. on Sunday mornings in the Thurman Room. We're reading five views on faith and politics. Please see me. I have, I have copies of the book if you want to join us. It's going to be a great discussion. Also, the dean's hosting a Bible study tomorrow in his office at 5 p.m. We hope you can join him. And now, as the ushers wait upon us for our tithes and offerings, I invite you to meditate upon what wondrous love is this and upon the discipline of love that is giving.
Loving God, you are the architect of our lives, and you fill our hearts with love. Thank you for the privilege of contributing to the life and mission of this congregation. We do not take lightly that it is a blessing to be a giver. Heavenly Father, use our offerings to inspire deeper faith, hope, and love. We ask this in the name of our Christ, our Lord. Amen. May the sun show warm and bright on you, your darkest night a star shine through, your dullest morn a radiance brew, and when dusk comes God's hand to you, the blessing of God Almighty, creator, redeemer, and sustainer be and abide with each one of us now and forever. Amen. <laughs> 